Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Welcome. This is your Weekend Managing Madrid podcast. Your host, Gabe Ledra, coming to you uh, from a very much more positive uh, place, I think, mentally at least. Join, joining me today, Keon Sobani. Keon, how's it going? Hey, I'm good. 7-1. Seven, 7-1. One. Seven, I'm, one. I'm here. I'm happy. Let's do it. Absolutely. And Om Arvin, Om, uh, well, welcome to like probably the first genuinely positive show that you've been on since like some of the recap in the Champions League final shows. Yeah, I'm I'm glad to be on this pod. Glad to be back after a short hiatus um, to talk about you know a positive win, like you said, a seven-one win. Seven-one, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think the coolest part that I've seen about all this is like all the jokes about like Tony Kroos talking to Marcelo about it. Like, oh, it was pretty cool. Like, did that remind you of anything? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that was um yeah, it was a big win for Madrid. Finally, all the stuff that didn't work all year started to work. I mean, obviously, it's way too late for a lot of the you know good parts of this to kick in. But you know what? Um, we've been saying all year that like it's absolutely a lot of this game is just fun. You know, that's the point. And this was a fun game to watch, Keon. It was really fun. You know, like if <clears throat> um. They- the, I think the other fun game we had in recent memory was the game against Sevilla, where where it, we kind of had this tactical deviation from the norm, and you felt this way today. Only it sustained like for ninety minutes, and it was an even bigger win. And there was just a lot of fun things going on, like even before before Lucas Perez scored, and even before we tied it up. When you know you felt like it was a bit different, the scheme was a bit different. You felt like there was kind of like an oomph and Real Madrid step. Bale and Ronaldo were playing really good on the flanks. You know, Bale in particular, I thought his just his presence on that right-hand side and Casemiro playing as a more traditional anchor allowed Modric more freedom to pull strings in the higher position. It was it was a fun performance and um, just a lot of fun. Like you know, I there was like very 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 minor things I nitpicked, but even even that, I think I'm just yeah, we'll I'm get... just happy to just kind of sit back and enjoy this one. And we'll get into all of that and like. I'm sure we're going to deal with some of the people who, uh, for whatever reason, are still going to find criticism. Uh, <laughs> and, like, we'll deal with the kind of nits to pick. But, like, to, truth be told, in a season where Madrid has struggled to score, scoring seven goals in one game regardless is, a, especially against, like, a Primera team, this isn't even, like, a Copa game against the Segunda Bay or whatever. Like, this is, you know, a Primera side, and Madrid ran all over them and scored all the goals, which was great. On top of that, we've got braces, right, for the goal scorers. Bale times two, Ronaldo times two, which is huge, and Nacho times two, which was special, um, and Modric, which a uh, beautiful goal himself. So, uh, uh, and obviously Lucas Perez for uh, Deport. Uh, Ohm, what do you make of, I mean, like, let's just go through this tactically. I mean, like, what is the difference between this match and the previous matches other than literally the ball entering the goal? <laughs> um, I mean... That, that's a tough question because I thought, um, you know, in in a lot of these matches where we hadn't been winning, right, the tactics were all right. Like I, I wouldn't say we're perfect, but when it comes from a chance creation perspective, they were it was actually quite good, right? But our our finishing just wasn't there, and that's why our expected goals is just it's it's quite good. Our expected goals is you know puts us you know second behind Barca just by a little bit, but our our goals have just been not, they've just not been there. Our finishing has been horrible. And 
it was really good to look at the expected goals chart after this match and see our expected goals was like, you know, above three, which is really good. And the goals we scored was seven. So it was kind of like a regression to the mean in that aspect. Uh, I thought tactically, you know, we were quite good, obviously, because, you know, we won 7-1. Um, and I think it just had to do with the players being really, really motivated and that motivation kind of working off a platform of good structure. So the spacing offensively was rather good, I thought. Um, like Keon mentioned before, Casemiro generally sat deep. I mean, he was still doing that, you know, that little thing where he moves ahead of Modric and Kroos occasionally. But generally, Modric and Kroos had freedom to move up the half spaces and dictate things. And Ronaldo and Bale stayed very wide. You know, if you look at their heat maps, they look very much like traditional wingers in that aspect. And that stretched the pitch and gave others, you know, their, our midfield space to work in and conduct things. And then Bale and Ronaldo just look to take over the game themselves, really. Our individual quality always has a bearing on the game. And today it was Ronaldo and Bale who just, they were just sick of losing, you know. They, they just wanted to win extremely, yeah. extremely badly. And they took over the game and they won it for us. Yep. And, uh, I mean, look, I, I, Keon, all three of us, we've been talking about how important Gareth Bale is to this team and he once again put in an absolutely stellar performance. Uh, it's so tiring to hear not just like the rumors about people trying to pry him away from this side, but also like the people, the haters uh, who, I mean, like I, I find it very hard to watch a game like this. And basically he has been, when he's on the pitch, the one of the most consistent players all season for Madrid, just constantly a threat, right? And he just just took over this match day. He and Modric, I think for me, were the standouts. Obviously, Ronaldo came up with a massive, immense game, you know, especially in that second half, right when he really needed it with all of the confidence issues. So a lot of good stuff there. Um, and tactically, Owen, we're back in that in, in that 4-3-3, or at least in theory, right? Yeah, I mean, it not even in theory, right? Because you know, sometimes it doesn't look like a 4-3-3, you know, with how fluid it is. But if you go back and look at the heat maps, right, like Ronaldo and Bale are very much on the wings. Mayoral was probably the only player that didn't look extremely great today because he was he was struggling a bit to get involved. But even he wasn't too bad. And our midfield line was still kind of flat in a sense. But, you know, Casemiro did a generally good job of, of allowing Modric and Kroos freedom up front. So, yeah, it was a 4-3-3, um, you know, in in any way you look at it. And I, I quite like what we saw. And I've, I've never been the biggest fan of the diamond. Um, yeah, I've, I've accepted how it worked last season and the benefits that it had, but I thought this season that other teams had figured out how to expose it and we needed to move on from it. And I hope Zidane looks at this and, and thinks, well, yeah, I think the four, three, three is a better option moving forward. And I, I hope he's going to use it more often. Yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, look, I think he wants to, right. And in fact, Guys, we had the the first BBC cameo in in months, which uh, which was exciting. Um, Benzema back from injury, stepping in, playing next to Cristiano and Bale. I mean, it was cool to see that, and those three really do work well together, despite all of the issues that they've had this season. Yeah, and I mean, the thing I'll say about Mayoral too is that if we're looking to take someone out of this team and say, you know, maybe. Out of the 11 players, probably Mayoral was the one who showed us the least. But I would say that despite him not being an efficient uh, scorer today, he he missed a really good chance that Bale set up for him. He missed a couple of chances in the first half, which were much harder to take. Um, I thought he worked really hard. Like Without the ball, he was constantly moving, especially in that first half where Real Madrid had a lot of fluidity and everything looked really good. And the team looked like they were playing with conviction. Mayoral was one guy who was definitely moving constant without the ball, popping up in central channels, acting as an outlet, playing little one-two, just being smart, and he just couldn't finish. So I think Mayoral was good. Um, the BBC camp, you know, was a bit surreal to me because I just I couldn't remember um, when the last time we saw them together was. If I'm not wrong, I think it was last year in the Classico at the Bernabeu, but um, correct me if I'm wrong. So the whole thing seems surreal to me, not only the BBC thing, but also the 4-3-3. It just, it, it's been so long since we've seen Ronaldo hugging the left flank, but also just cutting in, looking dangerous, looking active, looking involved, um, and just looking happy. Whereas like in the previous schemes in the 4-4-2, he was a bit isolated, he was frustrated. Um, it wasn't great for his confidence. And 
the whole team today, even like in the second half, it seemed like when the game was done and dusted before Ronaldo had scored, everyone just wanted to get him a goal. Bale was going out of his way to pass to him. Benzema too. And then the, the fans were applauding him even though he missed like a good chance. So it was good vibes. Um, the other thing I'll say quickly about Bale, because Gabe, you, you mentioned him earlier. Um, I think we get so wrapped up in some of the crazy things he does offensively. Like the first shot was ridiculous. Like oh he, my had, God. he had almost no angle and no business scoring from... from <laughs> it, he almost just couldn't see the net from where he was standing. It was, it was blocked off. He was at a weird angle and he just hit it with perfect power, perfect accuracy. But um, we've seen Bale do a lot of great things this season. This, was, this game stood out to me in the sense that his confidence... Look through the roof, and every time he touched the ball, you was you were you were kind of on the edge of your seat, expecting something crazy to happen, and that's the kind of like Gareth Bale that you know we want to see week in week out. We saw with Tottenham, we saw early in his Real Madrid career, we've seen sporadically this season. Um, but getting lost in all this, what Bale does, I think the amount of stability he brings to the team that almost no one talks about because his offense overshadows it is crazy because he brings so much comfort to that flank. He brings so much relief to Modric, who doesn't have to do so much to help the right back constantly throughout the game. Um, he's just a smart two-way player. He's def- by far the best two-way winger we have on the squad. Like defensive IQ, is, it's not even close. He's, he's, he's one of the best we have in the entire squad in terms of just knowing where to be defensively. So I, I just don't want that part to get lost in all this. Yeah, I mean, it's not just, right, like, exactly as you were saying, right, it's not just the the offensive, or not just the goal scoring that he brings to the game, it's a, he's an incredibly strong two-way player, he also has a very deep and, you know, very you know, instinctual understanding of space, I mean, he is, I think there's a reason that, and, you know, that the people have now forgotten it because of all the transfer moves and whatnot. But Bale was, you know, and I think remains on when he is, you know, not injured, one of the top five or six players in the entire world. And people kind of forget <laughs> how good he is because he he does kind of get injured for stretches. But when he's there, he is such a disruptive force for this Madrid side. Um, I I want to make a quick pivot uh I mean, like, obviously, there's not tons to nitpick personally, but I I think that instead of doing all of that nitpicking right away, I I think we should answer some of the things that I think are are off base. Um, So I don't know if either one of you want to answer this, but how would you respond if someone says, well, look, in this match, Real Madrid didn't have Isco and they scored seven goals. He is a he is the reason (laughs) that Madrid (laughs) has been playing badly. Why can you just like shut that down? right now by the way that the, the theoretical if someone asks it's not theoretical that is like in an, oh, yeah, that's a good point. an entire slate we of get, questions we, we received tonight go ahead Ol. <laughs> i mean all you have to do is look at who was a key part of us winning the league and you know the champions league last year it was isco right he he, he was the put player put into the place that bill left behind the system was de- designed around him and we won and i think the fact that it was also the system is the key, right? We we know Isco's a class player. Look at look at you know our top scores across all competitions. Isco's up there. You know, look at his chances created per game. I mean, he, he's just a class player. Look at how he's performed in the past few games. It, it, the issue, like we've said before, has never been Isco. It's been the role he's been deployed in, and it's always been that Isco has been afforded too much freedom. I'm sure if you played a four three three with Isco on the left wing. We would have we would have pl- basically played the same as we did t- today and won with basically the same scoreline. People are so caught up on individual players and blaming players for what's going wrong when it usually has more to do with the system. It's, it, it usually has more to do with the collective and and the way players are deployed, and it has less to do with their individual ability. Because in my opinion, every single player that plays for Real Madrid right now is of Real Madrid quality in 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 some form. You know, I think maybe Mayoral, you could say. It's a bit too early for him right now. He needs to go out on loan. But everybody else has great individual quality. It's about the way that they're deployed, especially someone who has the quality of Isco. So yeah, it's really it's really not the right way to go about. It. Like, well, well, this player didn't play today, and that's why we won. I mean, you can say fucking Kiko Casilla didn't play today, and that's why we wanted to be like. I mean, we can play that game. It's just <laughs> you're just being dishonest. Um, <laughs> I think I the- like that. It's also um um. 
that whole that ex- that that whole argument is is awesome because it's also the same argument that you the joke that you made about Danilo, right? Like he was on the team <laughs> last year and Madrid was crushing it, and then oh no, like he went to Manchester City and like he's crushing. Now Manchester City is crushing it, and it's obviously he is the reason. So <laughs> right, if if we want to play this game, then Danilo is the reason that we're in the troubles we're in right now, and Danilo is the reason Manchester City is so successful because it correlates perfectly. Manchester City, you know, were far off the pace in the league. Before they got Danilo, then they got Danilo and they went on this massive winning streak. They've already won the league. You know, Real Madrid yeah. had won the double with Danilo, and then we sold him, and now look where we are. I mean, didn't he? You, he also come on against Liverpool and get torched. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's not. That's the whole point, right? Like, it's not like this is a super good player who's like dominating it. It's just like he happened to fall into two very good teams and like the whole this is like the i'm sure you guys know this site called spurious correlation but like it's just literally a site that publishes uh weird correlations so it's like you know the uh uh stuff like the the number of movies nicholas cage is in which is with versus like correlates pretty well with like the total production of cheddar cheese in the eastern united states and it's like (laughs) these things are completely unrelated obviously but like they do when you show them on a graph together people find correlations just like hey danilo was you know not is not on madrid anymore and so now they're bad and now he's on uh, manchester city or isco wasn't in this game right but and madrid won by seven goals so now Madrid doesn't need Isco and should sell him. Well, I mean, look, Asensio wasn't in this game. Neither, no one was like calling for his head. I mean, neither was Sergio Ramos. I mean, like, oh, huge <laughs> point. Good point. <laughs> um, I, I think the I, biggest sign that we need to stop criticizing individual players so much is that regardless of who Zidane put out this year, we struggled. Mm-hmm. Um, apart exactly. from today and a few other games against like Dortmund, Sociedad, and Sevilla, those are the exceptions. But whether you know, first. There's a bunch of there's a bunch of uh, complaining about the A team and how they play, um, and we scream for the reserves, and then everybody complains about the reserves. And, and reserve, the pro- we're not good enough. Our bench is not good enough. Yeah, and I mean, I, yeah. The, the point is, I think there's 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 issues of scheme rather than personnel. And I think if Isco, we've seen Isco play the four three three just fine in the past. Like it's not mm-hmm. it's not like if you threw Isco in there today, it it would have been a disaster. I think the Rams just still would have won and it would have been comfortable because. What the scheme allowed today was just the most important thing about the four three three to me wasn't the fact that um, well that it was the dominoes of the midfield trio getting sorted out because when Modric and Kroos have freedom to create um, press up high and and do things that cast you know don't have to do things defensively so much and get get um, get caught out of position. They're the engines. Everything else flows from there. The attack gets fixed. The defense gets fixed. Real Madrid can hold on to the ball. They can punish teams on the counterattack. Casemiro can stuff out attacks, and everything just looks better. So to me, that was the, that was the main point: was that the midfield trio got fixed. There was less confusion. They knew where they had to be. They knew where, you know, they knew there wasn't going to be a roaming player, which they weren't sure who, where the, where that person was going to be defensively at any given time. That was to me the big fix, and after that there was a bit much of dominoes because once the midfield gets fixed, once Modric and Kroos are stringing things together, everything just looks better. So, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a key point, right? Because the the essence of why the diamond worked and why it isn't working now is that the whole point of it was to just just overwhelm opponents with a flurry of of fluid and and seemingly random movements. So that we could create overloads and, and teams couldn't adjust properly, and and we we'd essentially just overwhelm them with four or or three front clever midfielders just moving all over the place and trying to supply two forwards, and Casemiro would kind of just sweep everything up, and then that became a problem this season when you know Modric and Kroos started to lose the ability to keep track of Isco, and other teams started to be like, hey, if we just kind of hold our line and stay structured. We're going to win the ball back and then we can counter into loads of space because Real Madrid aren't prepared to counterpress or prepared to defend in a deep block. And like you said today, um, Kroos and Modric didn't have to necessarily worry about that. And that's also why I think, right, like it's not about Isco, it's about the scheme that he was put in because whenever Zidane, for some reason Zidane now thinks that to play Isco, you have to go into a 4-4-2 diamond. And that's not true, right? You said, Like you said that, Isco can play in a 4-3-3. He can play lots of different formations. So 
like you said, it has to do with scheme. And I think the 4-3-3 provided us some nice structure today. And when there's a semblance of structure, your good players are going to come to the fore because then they feel comfortable in their environment. When they feel comfortable in their environment, you're more likely to win the game. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I, <laughs> it's it's interesting because it's it's on these positive shows. I uh, I feel like it's it's almost not worth getting like too into the weeds with some of the nitpicky stuff, no. just because like like maybe we should just kind of enjoy ourselves and like sit back and realize that like this has been a tough season, but like maybe you know we can turn it around and still salvage things. And, and if not, like whatever, like there's, a, there's still like a big you know, important future for this side. And like, it's also fun. Maybe, you know, it's sometimes just fun to watch your team win games, which is, and and not just win games, but like win games convincingly and, you know, impressively, which is what today was, right? Like it, we haven't had so many of those for Real Madrid since, since uh, the super cup in August. And uh, I think a lot of us were missing just the feeling of going into this like a match and by the end of it not being on the edge of our seat and cursing, just like sitting back and be like, hey, it's pretty cool that we're all, you know, no, I watching agree. And <laughs> I agree. And at the beginning of the show, I said, you know, there are things to nitpick. I change my mind. There's nothing. I don't want to nitpick anything. This is a good win. Um, and what are we like really nitpicking if we really go down? It's that Casemiro lost a possession in the final third, which Nacho saved off the line. Casemiro was one of the best players on the pitch. So, I mean, those are so minor in the grand scheme of things. I, the only thing I'd say is that maybe a caveat. Um, not, not something to nitpick, and that's not Real Madrid's fault. Deportivo are one of the worst defensive teams in the league. They're, sec- they're second worst after Las Palmas. Um, and they still have kind of like the ghosts of Pepe Mel, like lingering, just bad defending habits. And But the, the flip side of that is today, I don't even know if they defended that badly. Like... It wasn't like Real Madrid steamrolled them and and Deportivo just opened up. Like Oh mentioned, what was the expected goals three or something? Yeah, so, you know. So there's that too. Yeah. Like So it's not even. I mean, I'm just trying to think of like warning signs to be like if you're if we're getting too excited about. Something. I mean, I I can have one small thing to nitpick if, if you guys want. I mean, go for it. No, no, no. no. I will listen to you nitpick. I just think I personally will not super engage in it. We're gonna have to answer. I mean, we will answer some of our questions from patrons. Uh. Which, which I think we'll probably get into some of these questions, but, um, you know, I, I do think like, look, on some level, like analysis is uh, a lot of weighing both good and bad, and talking about like where things can be improved, and even in a game like this, things can always be improved. So go ahead, um. All right. So, I was talking about structure a lot, and speaking of structure, right? I, I think the biggest issue we've had this season is conceding counterattacks and our ability to defend counterattacks. I think that was sort of an issue this game as well. And in the sense that our preparation for the counter press still wasn't like it still wasn't great. I thought we were mainly stopping counter attacks more through really, really you know great pieces of individual effort. Bale tracking back twenty yards and making an incredible slide tackle to stop a counter attack, and and you know Modric and Kroos pressing like crazy against two other players. Um, I, I didn't think it was horrible, but there were definitely instances right where where what you want is basically a kind of line of players sort of in front of the box. You can cast a net around around an area where you lose possession of the ball. And there were definitely holes. You know, Casemiro you know, was somewhere else. Um, there was no one guarding the wing. Um, you know, sometimes the fullbacks were in the correct position to do that. Modric and Kroos weren't always necessarily together. And that's more of an issue that we've seen all season, right? Like a lot of times we'll just see our, our, our center open up. And I thought... I thought we dealt with that all right. I thought our players adjusted well, but I thought that more had to do with our players just working really, really hard because they didn't want to lose a game again rather than it was our tactical structure helping protect our defense. And we did end up conceding some dangerous counters. We needed a couple great saves from Navas. But in the grand scheme of things, right, like that didn't matter so much because when you're going to score seven goals, it's, it's not really such a big problem. The reason I want to talk about that is because I haven't seen improvement in that over the course of basically the entire season. And if we play against PSG like that, um, you know, if we create a bunch of chances, no, that's great. But they're also going to be able to create a bunch of chances because they have the best front three in the world. And if you're if you're conceding dangerous counters against Mbappe, Neymar, and Cavani, it's, it's going to really hurt you. So if there's one thing you want to go and work, you know, something you want to work on 
from this victory, it's that because that could be one of the biggest keys in defeating PSG. And this has been a problem all year for Madrid, yeah. right? So, like, it's not – this is not a new problem. It's yeah. just – it yeah. still is. I mean, to be honest, guys, I also watched some of the PSG game today. They did not look good. So that that at least is – um was a was a positive. They lost uh, to OM – uh, with a with a great goal from Memphis, uh, who has a and I'm not kidding, an entire lion face tattooed on his back. It's not like all it crossed his entire back. It's really aggressive. I haven't seen a tattoo that intense since like some of the cool NBA tattoos like J.R. Smith. But like this is a this is an intense tattoo. So uh, you know, big old hats off to Memphis for beating um beating uh, uh, PSG. Uh, and also PSG just didn't look great today. So hopefully. You know that form from all the teams that were really good in the beginning of the season, they'll cool off and regress a little bit, and Madrid will regress in the positive direction, like you said uh, on Twitter today. Um, yeah, if I could, if I just quickly like add to that, that's also one of PSG's biggest problems. The one we have is they don't set up the counter press really well because of how fluid they they want to play. Because Neymar, Mbappe, and Cavani basically have all the freedom in the world to do what they want, and Emery has this weird like desire to play Draxler in midfield a lot of the times and in central midfield, which is extremely weird. So a lot of the times they have holes open up. So let's say we went into that game or both teams went into that game playing how they'd be playing before. It, it would basically just be both teams countering from end to end and getting really good opportunities. And, you know, that wouldn't be the worst way for the match to go. But I'd prefer us for try to, contr- to try to control that aspect of the game so that we could shut off their counters and then and then essentially be the only team countering. I feel like that would be the ideal way for it to go. But Emery will probably also have a more structured game plan um, for the round of 16 encounters. So we'll see how that goes. But like you mentioned, yeah, PSG sort of do have weaknesses. And in my opinion, some of their weaknesses are, are very similar to what we have. Yeah, and I mean, look, this this match against OM, it's not like they were playing... Uh, a super super good team, but it it, it um uh sorry ol good god Gabe um and uh, <laughs> I was just waiting for you to correct yourself I I knew you'd come good buddy <laughs> I said om like the whole thing the whole time Keon like why don't you step in because <laughs> because uh, I knew you were gonna figure it out on your own I had o- faith o- in you Olympique Lyonnais uh, ol is um the second best the, the 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 team trailing PSG immediately in the classification so this actually was a really big game for them so. If Unai wasn't uh, setting up you know, his best squad, it was kind of a weird decision. For I think him. I think Neymar was injured, right? He didn't play this game. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, for I mean, reason, right? We'll we'll see, right? Like, I, the Champions League might be treated differently. Um, I because I I remember talking about this before, where I thought tactically, I thought this was okay matchup. Like, obviously, I still don't think this was a good like draw for us. Like, I thought. Uh, this is one of the worst we could have, but I think tactically it was all right because of the way, you know, how fluid and unstructured PSG can be. And a lot of people were telling me, well, it's going to be different in the Champions League game and Neymar is going to be more disciplined and, and basically everyone's going to try to be in a more structured shape. Um, based on what you said, Gabe, it didn't sound like they did that in a very big match for them, but, you know... We'll see, right? Like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not gonna try. I'm not gonna underestimate this opponent because the the Champions League is is what PSG have wanted ever since they had that big investment from the Middle East. That was that's their main goal. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they came in and and played a very different game that day. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. I um, sorry, go ahead, Kim. Well, I just wanted to quickly interject before the discussion moves on. Um, it the, the amount of people who were celebrating that we drew PSG because they thought we were <laughs> yes, gonna smash them was that. it was yeah. way too high. Um. But I would say that one of the things I remember Om and I discussing in, in, a, in a preview podcast uh, or a Facebook Live video about this game when, it, when the draw was made was at that time, Real Madrid were giving away the ball like crazy in their own half. Like Modric, Kroos, um, Isco, Casemiro, Marcel, everybody, almost everybody except for, for Varane was doing it like prolifically. And um, you do that against a team like PSG, obviously you're going to get carved up because they're going to punish you the way like teams like Las Palmas couldn't couldn't punish us for those mistakes in the league. Um, but I want to just note something from today that actually at least at least encouraging is there was there was a lot of sequences where Deport tried to press us high and we played out of it like masterfully. I felt like I was watching like the Real Madrid Super Cup for moments in this game where out of the back just Kroos. 
Modric, uh, uh, Marcelo, like all these players, like, and Bale would drop back and it looked good. Like it was fluid coming out of the back. So I think that part was at least encouraging. Um, if we can gut those giveaways out of our system, like for good, uh, we'll be fine. Uh, you know, I hope. We'll, yeah. We're not going to go <laughs> smash them, I think, but at least we'll, we'll look competent. Yeah, and that's kind of a big step up considering the way um, the last few months have gone for this team. They have not looked competent <laughs> in a lot of the uh, in a lot of their matches. All right, let's. Uh, do you guys have any anything else you want to add before we jump into questions? Because we have a number of them. Oh, I'm ready to jump in. All right, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's leap into leap into questions. I. Before we go into into them, actually, Christopher McCormick actually reminded me, like, was like, because uh, I'd said this is gonna be like the most positive podcast that we've had this season since like August. It was like, imagine telling yourself that in August, and it is kind of a bummer. <laughs> like, if you remember how like happy we were and like thinking about this like <laughs> dynasty side. Oh my god. Uh, yeah, good so, times, good times. Good times, good times. It also shows how capricious and and tough this sport can be. Um, all right, Anton Hackberg uh, wants to know, how much of an impact do you think this win will have on the confidence of the team moving forward? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a I, this is a tougher question for me than one would think it is because I thought the Sevilla game that we played really well and won by a lot would have – a really big impact and it didn't really change things but I, I hope I hope that this will be different and I think that the team is just so sick of losing now that it, it will have to be a, a big boost especially with the PSG game around the corner that I think not, not so much that this will give them a boost but the players themselves so badly want to believe that this will give them a boost that it will um, whether that will be enough to really turn the season around and win in the two cups We'll see, but I do expect um, things like our finishing, you know, things that are based on confidence, right? Like re- retaining possession of the ball under a press and, and finishing. I, I do expect that to improve after this. I mean, you hope the answer to this is that it'll have impacted the team much better than the big win over Sevilla did. Because <laughs> we, we felt yeah. that we had that vibe after Sevilla. We're like, okay, fine. This is finally the gear we were waiting for. Like, finally the gear is hit. Perfect timing. Barca's next in La Liga, and um, that didn't work out so well. So I think in the past when we've seen good performances in La Liga this season, we haven't seen Zidane continue that momentum and roll with the same kind of ideology, and he kind of goes back to what he had before. Um, having said that, who knows? You know, Zidane may, might be thinking the complete opposite of that this time, and we also have BBC back, so... That, in a way, kind of forces his hands a bit to continue playing like this. But it is interesting after the match, he said, you know, because he was asked, like, what was the difference tactically? You know, was it the 4-3-3? And he was like, there was there was no difference. Um, and he basically said, today the ball went in and, and before it didn't. And um, it, it, it confuses me a bit if he does think that. I, I'm skeptical if he really does believe that behind the scenes. But um, they, to me, there were clear tactical differences, like, enough to to note to be like yo this is a good wake up like this is everybody look comfortable in this scheme including including by the way ronaldo um mm-hmm. your best player and if if you if you want to get him going just keep going and and don't frustrate him by putting him up top and isolating him again yep um i agree with all that i i it's 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 not i um i think that your point is exactly the one I was going to make. So I don't need to, to rehash it, but I remember that podcast very well when we were all talking about how big a deal it was that Madrid dominated Sevilla and how it was going to turn things around. So let's just, you know, hopefully this, uh, this does spark a little bit of a turnaround. I think, uh, I think the one thing that we should hope for more than anything is just that there's good health, right? Like that, I mean, Mm -hmm. that fundamentally with this team, what has really derailed them in the past is is health issues. And this this season, a lot of the story of this season, in addition to just genuinely bad uh, finishing uh, and and really porous defending, has been injuries, right? So hopefully that that comes around in in the second half of the season. Yeah, um, I, go ahead. I, I, I think that's a really good point because in my opinion, 
a lot of what's driving because I think even in the past La Liga matches where we didn't win we still looked all right like offensively like there was still the issue of defense defending in transition but we were creating chances I, I think a lot of that has to do with the return of Gareth Bale I think he is in a lot of ways single-handedly trying to dr- put this team back on the map in La Liga and I don't know if it's because he's been injured and so he doesn't feel the weight of all those losses we have and so he's coming in with a fresh approach and you know with essentially fresh energy but his quality has been clear in in making us so much better offensively and 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 making us more incisive that i think that that point gabe made is is very important right because if we want to continue this run we not only have to be healthy but gareth bale has to be healthy because he's been the key to all of this in my opinion totally agree um all right christopher mccormick uh I know we just won 7-1, and you'd think I'd have an edgy question about the first team, but I have a question about Castilla. Um, so, good point. I, 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 I like you know the idea of like in, um, trying to flip the script a little bit. How highly do you guys rate Quezada, and do you think he plays better as a fullback or a winger? I think he's better utilized as a winger, although he is an okay fullback. Uh, I'm going to toss this one to Keon, who is the person that I, you and uh, Sam are the people that I listen to on Castilla mainly. So what do you, what do you make of this? Um, this is the one reinvention that Solari has successfully pulled off out of, out of 3 million other ones, which he's single-handedly ruined careers of. Um, the Casada from left back to left winger has been really, really good. Um, that that shift and that position shift. So I guess for those of you listening who don't really um, have a, such a clear image of Castilla, Casada is traditionally left back, and he's been called up to the first team a couple times. So I'm sure you've seen him. But um, he's one of my favorite players in Castilla, just because stylistically he's he has a killer left foot. Like I don't know, I, I don't know how to compare him to anyone, but he. He has a left foot that like almost reminds you of like a Mihailovic type character that he can strike free kicks and he can cross the ball like crazy. He can take corners. He can he can dribble past people on the wing. He's not like a traditional winger where he where he like, you know, does all these has a bunch of flair and dribbles past people, but he's strong and he whips in a mean cross and he's fast and he's good defensively. So him going up to the left wing um has enabled Regulion to go to the left back. And those two together have formed a really strong defensive and offensive partnership on the left wing. So um, Christopher McCormick, I, I I agree with you. I think he's better utilized as a winger, which um, <clears throat> surprises me a little bit because, you know, we haven't really seen seen it beyond, you know, before this season and because Solari doesn't have a great track record of reinventing players. Yeah, I... It... I I I am I am loath uh, to credit Solari um, as a coach with anything, but I think in this case you're right. <laughs> uh, not that you feel any differently than I do with him, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're sort of on the same page. Um, Ramin Nagy uh, asks us, "So what a win!" And to think that people actually thought we needed new players slash a new coach. Uh, laughing face. Can't wait for people to somehow find a narrative where, quote, Isco was the problem all along. (laughs) They are. That's already a thing. Um, His question is, right, I actually want to stop before that and say, uh, I actually don't think this is the match, like, to to gloat about how Zidane is right and perfect and the squad composition is perfect also. Like, I actually do think there are still squad issues here. So uh, just just to, to be quite clear about that i i think you guys probably agree but you know maybe i think we've been saying that they're not as big a deal as some of the people would like to think they are but they're still actually there certainly are squad issues like i i like i said i don't i would still send Magdal out for another loan spell mm-hmm. because i just don't think mm-hmm. he's quite there yeah i mean i would because speaking about like the myra performance keon basically talked about how he was all right and I would agree with that. But when you looked at some of the way he was snatching at his chances, it was all like super quick. He wasn't getting himself in the right body position. It, it's clear he's lost a lot of confidence from that Wolfsburg spell, as anyone would. And right now, the, the, the situation he's in at Madrid is not the right situation for him to grow as a footballer. If we truly are serious about Mayoral's development and want to give him a chance to get in the first team, we need to loan him out to a side that will give him plenty of football and allow him to work over these 
you know, these issues. So I, I don't think he's the best choice to be the backup striker, right? Like I've talked about how much I love Kane. I would still go out and try to buy him no matter what. Um, and obviously we need another backup right back. Yes. And I mean, look, let's be clear. Odrio Sola and Kepa were the two people that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. What could immediately come in and fix some of these squad issues, which I don't think we should even get into. I'm, I'm still. Can I just I'm mention something though? I, you know, this is such a digression, but Odrio Zola was unbelievable today. It oh was my, like yeah, he's, he's a so really good, good player. Yeah, Ugh. he was like for a right back for like the entire team to flow through you offensively as a right back. It means you're really special, and they just he's just terrifying to play against. And I today, you know, I've watched him a lot, but today was the. The day it dawned on me, I was like, wow, this guy is actually going to be... If it if he keeps up like this, I think he's going to be one of the right backs of his generation. Like, he's so good. <clears throat> I'm still annoyed by all of this. <laughs> so, Ramin's question is actually, um, would you guys like to face Barca in the Champions League if both advance? No. Yeah. No. no. I, don't, I really don't. I don't know why I, people do this. I mean... I, I, I don't mean to, like, um, to shit on Ramin here, but, like, I don't understand why, like, Madrid fans do this, right? Like, yeah, I want the toughest teams because I want to, like, shove it in their face or something. No, give me the easiest path yeah. possible, and I will oh take it every single time. Like, give me, like, fucking sec- Russian whatever fluke-ass team that makes <laughs> it past on, like, a, a bad penalty call. Like, give me them, like, every single time. What the hell? Like, does our 11th Champions League, call, like, count, or our, our uh, yeah, our 11th Champions League count less? Because Madrid uh, had a relatively easier road to the final? It absolutely does not. So... I will, I will, I will, I will die on this hill. Give me the easiest teams possible. Make Barcelona face Bayern and uh, Manchester City, and then we will take you know uh, whatever Russian team is still in the thing, like the, this depleted as Monaco side, you know, <laughs> Roma or whoever the hell, like Manchester United, whoever's still left in the stupid <laughs> competition. Okay, well, hold on, hold on a sec. <laughs> Let me just stick up for my man Ramin here. Um, oh, oh, let's look look at the alter- <laughs> let's let's talk about the alternatives, okay? City, Juve, Tottenham, Liverpool, Bayern, and then you're going to Man U, and then Roma is probably the weakest of the lot. I'm not saying that I would rather face Barca, but don't at least don't we at least consider a matchup a little bit? Like, do you remember last year how we all said we would take Atletico, even though they're such a great team, but because they match up well against us. We want to go. We'll go against them in the Champions League. There's like you know. There's. I, I don't want to laugh about him too much for this question. I don't think it's no, that no, outrageous. That's fair. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I just. It's just so much. I. I don't understand why a fan would wish for this, right? Because he's saying it would be a great opportunity for payback. Like I, the thought of payback is amazing, but. Do you do you like stress as like a person? Because league classicals are already <laughs> so stressful for me. For it to happen in the Champions League, where you're definitively knocked out of the competition if if you don't win, like I don't I don't know if I can recover from that, right? Like I'm still recovering from getting knocked out in the 2011 Champions League semifinals against Barcelona. Like it's just too stressful yeah. for me. Like if there was ever to be a final between us, I wouldn't be able to watch. Like it- I agree, actually. I don't think I'd be able to watch that game. I, I mean, I'd love to like love to relive that. Yeah, 2011 final where or semifinal where I got like heartburn as soon as they <laughs> gave that red card to Pepe and threw up. No, I didn't do that, but like, I did get heartburn right away and was so stressed out I had to stop watching because like I was like this game we're like this is over. We've we've done a pretty good job. The Pepe stuff was really far, smart, and then like there was like that 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 play where he like Alves or whoever it was had this yeah, huge dive, yeah. and like it was a red card. I was like, all right, well I can't, I just can't with this, like. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and it was so unbelievably stressful. I just wonder if you all remember that. It was such a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, uh, obviously I mean, like, it was traumatizing. There's no question. But, I, you know, I I think there's... I think we. I don't think we match up that bad against Barca, even though, like... I, I would much rather face them in the final, to be honest, because I think we match okay, up Keon, better. Okay, get out. Gabe, kick him off the pot right yeah, now. No, man. I, we, shut, shut I, off his mind. We don't have I, a producer anymore, but I was going to say... Like, <laughs> 100%, we, I think we match up better than them in a final than we do in a, in a two-leg affair because, um, you know, we have we have track record too. Like, you look at the two Copa del Rey finals. I think we just... If we have to go in a game where we just counterattack and we blitz Leon, them, stop we can talking, do it. stop talking. <laughs> well, is, I mean, we did not about them already in a two-legged competition this season, so... Fuck this. I'm Team Ramin. Give me Barca. <laughs> just, just out of spite. <laughs> we want Bama. I mean, Barca. Um, 
All right, that's a little college football joke that went absolutely nowhere. Because yeah, because you're I'm you're active. saying it in a podcast with an Indian guy who's never watched football in his life, and and me who's a Canadian. <laughs> also Indian. Oh my god! <laughs> Most of <his> followers. <laughs> Noted Indian journalist Om Arvind, uh, and uh, probably the best Indian journalist we have. Uh, the funny thing is, no one, no one is getting this joke. None, none of the people who are listening. That's true. To this I'm just realizing that because we didn't. They're, make, like, they're so fucking confused right now. Right. We didn't discuss this whole in joke on the show. Actually, we did it like a cut, like uh, off air. <laughs> um, I think we should just move on and let that one fly because I don't think it's worth even discussing that. And plus, it's going to make people more people like contact you. So, <laughs> uh, Jeanette asks us. Um, Hey, Kian, uh, I think you're right about the approach to Ronaldo on discussing his future, etc. But instead, he was promised a new contract in Cardiff. So, Kian, you're going to have to explain a little bit of the yeah, background here. Yeah. I'm just going to read. Why don't you go ahead and explain some of the background um, on what Jeanette is responding to? This um, this stems from our patron podcast on Wednesday, um, which I did a bit of a kind of a solo monologue, and I just answered questions. Um, and I think one of the questions was about Ronaldo. And... And um, Matt and I had talked about Ronaldo the previous podcast. And this question of when to cash in on Ronaldo basically resurfaced again. And my point in all this, and this is where the background of Jeanette's question. You know, Matt and I were talking about how almost no Real Madrid legend has actually got a proper send-off. Um, and Zidane was the only one to get like a tribute game. Raul didn't get a game until like years after when he came back for the Trofeo Bernabeu. Everyone else just like go down the list like they, it's insane, insanely rare. No matter how great you are, um, like Luis Figo just like left one day. We woke up and he was gone, and like that was it. No one cared. He like just walked out the door. Um, and we all have this image in our mind of how Ronaldo was going to retire Real Madrid. What? And I think it's actually going to be a really kind of dangerous subject and a dangerous. Um, thing that we just have to be careful how we deal with it because Jorge Mendez is the agent and he's a nightmare. And there's a fine line of understanding what to do with Ronaldo. And I, my point was, and Jeanette's asking basically, um, bring up the point that this idea of cashing in on him or talking about uh, selling him or uh, and how... You know, and, and Florentino giving an interview on the day of his Ballon d'Or and, and talking about Neymar and all this, um, which I don't remember for what it's worth. But basically, are we are we showing enough respect to? Him? And my point is that you don't. You need to have a conversation with Ronaldo and be like, where do you see yourself in two, three years? Where do you want to retire? Because you, we don't want you to end up like previous Real Madrid legends that don't get a tribute and then they stay past their decline, they stay past their peak. And it just gets a bit sour after that because then you have to get benched. And my point is we sell him high. Like how, if you go on the list, how many times have, have Real Madrid or any other big club overkept a player and then that player goes into decline and then you don't, you don't get any money for him? And I think that's where my point was. At some point, you just have to have that conversation with Ronaldo and sit down with him and be like, look, we want to make sure you end up a Real Madrid legend. You already are. But we want to make sure you give you a good send-off we think there's a uh, an agreement here that works mutually for us to figure out when the right time is to for you to leave, and you know, I, I, I know it, I know it's a touchy subject, but if we had sold Raúl at the age of 25, 26, we would have got a lot of money for him, and he stayed for years, and he was uh, to be quite respectful and honest of my favorite player of all time, my idol. He was a complete zero, like offensively, he just lost it. Um, and I and I don't really want that to happen to Ronaldo. And we're seeing a little bit of this this season, right? I mean, we've been saying for a while on this show, Keon, we've had discussions about like when is the appropriate time to to move on because there is an appropriate time to move on, as you said. And the truth is that especially in um, you know in some of these sports where the decline happens very abruptly and quickly, a you can get saddled with a really bad contract for a very long time and. If if you know Madrid were to, for example, renew Ronaldo's contract for another five years at forty million a season or whatever, and he just is doesn't perform ever again like Ronaldo, suddenly Madrid is on the hook for this huge contract, uh, and 
And Ronaldo doesn't want to leave because none of the big teams really want him. So, you know, you're in a very tough position. I, I think I totally agree. I actually, the more and more, you know, I've seen this season, the more I think it might be the time to to discuss a mutually beneficial um, parting of the ways and parting of the ways on good terms for everyone, right? So, yeah. you know, he gets to go and do, you know, another stint somewhere. And if he wants to go play for, you know, whoever, then we we can arrange that and, you know, if he if he wants to go to the you know, America or or China for a season to make a hundred million, whatever in a in a year, which you know it's not like an insane thing to say. Like, let's go to China and make and like this one team will give you two hundred million dollars to play for them. Uh, you know, we should do that too. So I I just I think Madrid is is in need of a bit of a rejuvenation of the squad. Um, and that's kind of what this season has has shown me, but. I also think, anyways, let's get back to Jeanette's question. Um, but I, I, I do agree with you, Ken. So this is what Jeanette is responding to. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ronaldo was promised a new contract in Cardiff. Florentino also decided to do a radio talk show interview on the day of his Ballon d'Or celebra- uh, ceremony to cel- to declare his wish of signing Neymar and inviting him to come win the Ballon d'Or at Madrid. Hugo Sanchez just said that in Spain it's being discussed that with um, Florentino's close ties with Qatar. Neymar was likely prearranged to go to PSG for his year out of Spain before he returns to Real Madrid, and that's what the money is being saved for. Cristiano and Jorge Mendes are pretty close with the PSG owner, so I'm sure he knows exactly what's going on, and that's why he tested their integrity with the improved contract, and the stall only confirmed their plans to get rid of him. This cannot be considered appropriate treatment of saying goodbye to a club legend, right? And why is it they need to cash him in at all? After all the times they've claimed they wanted to uh, to see him end his career here, they have not made enough cash on him. This is horrible what they are doing to him after just winning five trophies. You can tell he's my, his mind boggled. So it's uh, them who's hurting his form. I'm shocked to see Madridistas turning on him now. It's sad. Um, so here's what I'll say. You, I, 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 you know, I think you're expressing a totally valid feeling. I, I will say that you're making some logical leaps here yeah. um, I, between some, some, you know, things that have been reported and like, Dom Ballon in some places that are like <laughs> not really particularly good sources. And also, like, I'm the first person to talk about like horrible corruption. But you know, do you know who else is really close with Cutter and 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 you know Cutter you know, uh, Sports Ventures, which is the club that the, the entity that owns PSG is Barcelona. And you know, so it's it's hard for me to imagine that QSV arranged for Neymar to like go through France on his way to Real Madrid, even though they have like a sponsorship deal with Barcelona. Uh, I, I just, I think there's a lot of uh, logical leaps here that aren't uh, obvious to me that, that you're ma- that you're making that I, I think that, you know, I, I, the Neymar stuff I think is basically not relevant to the Ronaldo discussion is what I'm saying. And the cutter stuff is also strange to bring up in this context, just because I, uh, I, as far as I understand, Cristiano's ties are more towards um, uh, other parts of Asia, you know, East Asia, and uh, he shelters his money, you know, just like everyone else does, like through entities not related to the Gulf. So, like, I, I don't really understand where, you know, the, the Cristiano and Jorge Mendes are really close with PSG owner. I don't know why you're why that's obvious to me. For example, like, I mean, obviously. Um, Nasser uh, uh, Al-Khalafi is <laughs> pretty close to everyone because he's bribing everybody. But, like, I don't know why that's particularly relevant in this con- context. I don't know if you were going to say anything, Om. Yeah, I mean, there are like, there are a lot of assumptions here, right? Like, essentially, that there's this scheme uh, there from Florentino, right, that he planned to bring Neymar all along, and he's trying to shove Ronaldo out. Like, I'd need to see a lot more evidence rather than a couple of Don Malone reports about this thing to really believe that because it's kind of a serious thing and it's also sort of improbable if you really want to sit through and think about it. Um, but I, I think to go more to like the valid part, which is like, you know, are, are we treating Cristiano Ronaldo correctly in, in, in the way that this transfer thing is going? I mean, not transfer, the contract thing is going. And I, I think it's an interesting question, right? Because Keon said like this becomes a dangerous discussion because there are a lot of hardcore Ronaldo fans that, We'll always want him to stay, no matter what. And anything you say is gonna kind of piss them off. And I'm, I am, I like to think of myself as one of those, you know, really big fan of Ronaldo. But 
So when it comes to his decline, right, like we were discussing, this is like this season is evidence, right, that we should ship him off. Like, I, I don't know if this season is like the greatest way to to evaluate whether he's really declined or not because of the whole expected goals to goals thing. And usually when you see players decline, it has less to do with them underperforming expected goals and more it has more to do with them just getting less expected goals because they're not able to get themselves into good goal-scoring positions. So I think, and, and if you look at his overall advanced stats, they're actually far, far better um, than they were in the last two seasons when it's like it's XG build-up and stuff. But I don't even know how relevant that is to the discussion because this is a discussion about Ronaldo wanting a new contract for a lot more money. And he's going to be 33 soon. And no matter which way you dice it, it just doesn't make sense to give him a contract that is worth that much, given his age. And we know that even if he hasn't declined significantly now, it is coming and it is coming fairly soon. So just from a perspective, from a business perspective, right, because wage control is very important, and from a footballing perspective, thinking about having a Ronaldo to like, what, 2025 or whatever with a really high contract when he's definitely going to decline, it just doesn't make sense. And so... If it comes down to the fact that Ronaldo says, if you don't give me this contract, I'm going to leave this season, I think it's a bullet you have to bite, even if he can give you two more great seasons, because it just doesn't make sense in the long term, no matter how well you look at it. And so I think that's essentially where the discussion has to come down to. Yeah. I, there's a, <clears throat> there's also a few different discussions like happening at the same time here, because um, you guys have already pointed out, so I, won't, I don't want to... Um, I don't want to blabber on too long because I think you guys have addressed the main points. But this idea, like, let's say in the theoretical world, what Hugo Sanchez says is true. Yeah, of course, that's not an appropriate way to, to deal with Ronaldo because the appropriate way, and that my point was, have a transparent discussion with him. Sit down with him. Yep. Don't yep. do anything behind his back for the love of God. Right. Like That would be the wrong thing to do. Sit exactly. down with him. It would be a and, fucking disaster. Yeah, do it that way. And that way it's going to end up much more amicably. Like, and, and make sure it's not amicably. The other thing I'd say, um, the, way, the reason this question even like exists right now and this is a discussion is because one of the questions that I had to answer on last week's podcast was, Someone asked if if I had a gun to my head, who if and I, and I had to sell two key players and starters, who would they be? And I chose Ronaldo and Benzema. And then so I had to explain the two. So Benzema was obvious. Ronaldo, I had to go down this big rabbit hole and keep talking about why I had to justify my answer for this one. So that's kind of also how how this all started. The other thing, um, you mentioned that his expected goals this year and and whether we take this season as a season for decline you know like he had that moment at moments at the beginning of the season where he was playing a bit deeper he was assisting players remember you know he assisted Isco a couple times Zidane talked about that how Ronaldo played a bit deeper today and their roles were reversed and he was the eye test was good that kind of to me even dropped off a bit and one of the things that just popped out at me against Villarreal and I was like wow he's actually in a decline and it really hit me because physically he just looked like a, a shadow of himself he couldn't I mean, beat, he couldn't beat anyone like to a cross he was getting muscled off the ball um he was just jumbling counters like in open space that we normally wouldn't do and but then today he looked complete opposite of that so i don't know if it was a positional thing or just a mental thing what it was but against Villarreal, it really struck me i mean that's what i'm saying we kind of have to be careful right i mean there's no doubt that he is declining. Like, he's not what he was at his peak, and every season he's going to decline. But I... I, Because, in my opinion, if he put away those goals right, we wouldn't be talking about, like, whether he was beat physically against Villarreal. For me, it's really about he hasn't scored enough. And I just... Because of the nature of football and the nature of regressing to the mean and the nature of of what it is to be in a hot streak of goal scoring, I... It's not a discussion where I feel like anybody should be really sure about because I've seen articles that like this is it for Ronaldo, right? Yeah. Like, I, 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 I would still like listen to anyone who says like regardless of that, I, I think he's going to drop off after this season. We still need to sell him. Like, I think that's a valid argument given his age. Um, but like writing Ronaldo off, which I'm not saying you're doing, Keon. I just think I, I just don't think anyone's really sure about it now, given just the context yeah. of everything. I, we, we need to look at after this season. I think that's a perfect time to sit down and have this discussion. I think we'll have a much better idea than we do now. 
I will also say um, that uh, expected goals is an imperfect stat, just like any stat in this sport, because you know you can have a lot of different reasons why you don't finish a high XG chance, and mm-hmm. you know if if they're one of those reasons, it would correlate right with a decline in ability and and, and form, and it's not, but not just just drastically in, right. Like no, no, right, right. But I'm saying is like if you're we all right, so like remember the the Kovacic shot against Levante, like that was an incredibly high XG shot, but he just missed it, right? And like mm-hmm. if you're missing those a lot when you previously weren't, it may be indication that you're slipping in your your abilities just because of age, right? Like that would be one way to explain it. And one of the cool mm-hmm. things that I think you brought me out of this dude who works for the who works on the um uh, the uh, the Arsenal blog and SB Nation oh, yeah. really, really interesting new work with uh, uh, XG where he's adding in things like defenders like near you, uh, 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 quality of the shot, all that stuff. And so that will, you know, eventually like that type of stat will be even more, you know, will be even more able to use that type of stat to determine whether someone is actually going through a really unlucky streak or whether there's like also some elements of decline. Like previously, he would he had a percentage of good shots of this. Now he's not like hitting it that way, despite all the you know controlling for all the factors, that kind of stuff. That's exactly the kind of stat that we need to be able to assess this kind of stuff better. But until we have that you know kind of data, uh, you're I totally agree. There's no real, real like objective way to say what's going on. And Keon, I think you're. Uh, your analysis is ex- exactly why, right? Because from one game to another, he can look totally different. And, like, that's that's the whole point. Yeah. I mean, I, I do want to say that Ronaldo's finishing, in my opinion, has declined over the past three seasons because if you look at his goal-to-XG ratio over the last two seasons, he's actually a bit under, like, just a little bit under what's expected. And then if you look at his 2014-15 season, I mean, that season itself was an anomaly. He was like 10 goals over what was expected. But I'm sure if you go back to previous seasons, he was always a little bit over and, and definitely not a little bit under. So I I, I think it's a little bit of everything, right? Like, I, I definitely do think that his, his ability to finish has declined with age as it will for any top-class striker. Um but I think what we've seen with Ronaldo has more to do piling onto each other. It's just him believing the ball is going to go in the back net. Because if you look at the Champions League, right, it's a complete opposite, right? Like, he's way over his expected... He's beating his expected goals. His finishing looks super confident. And he just looks like a different player, right? So that's why I think it has more to do with confidence than anything. And hopefully, right, like, this game we saw today will give him that boost of confidence. And if he does, if his finishing improves drastically, I think that will answer the question in that respect. But um, like I said before, it's it's very hard to assess. Uh, I think that's uh, as good a place as any to leave this discussion. We'll be back uh, at different points this week. Um, Keon, why don't we do some patron shout-outs? Ooh, favorite time. My favorite part of the podcast. So as you yeah. all know, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash managingmadrid. It helps support the show. It um, it helps us get paid for this new jingle that you yeah, probably heard. At the we beginning. have a we have we have a new <laughs> intro now. Um, thanks to our uh, one of our patrons, Andrew Caleb Gomez, just amazing work and and lot, we have patron money going towards that. So thanks to everyone um, for supporting us. And if you want to pledge, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/ManagingMadrid. And one of the rewards you get. If you pledge $10 or more, you get a specific shout-out on the podcast. So shout-out to these $10 up patrons. Nick DeStefane, uh, Frederick Sundros, Doug Chisholm, Leon Stavronakis, Bjorn Salvador, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Sergio Monleon, Redbat, Anthony Vasquez, Yahya Ibrahim, Gulen Ismail, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Atiri, Ian Marley, Andrew Gomez, Anton Hackberg, Jimmy Obey, Daniel Smith, Solomon Ortiz, and Jeanette. Thank you all so much. You rule. Um, couldn't do this without you all. Thank you, um, Keon. Do you have anything that you would like to plug? Like, who do you? Are you interviewing anyone cool this week um, uh, on the show? Yeah, busy, busy week. Um, I don't know what Om is going to do in terms of tactical videos, but <laughs> on, well, uh, are you yeah, doing anything, Om? It depends on a lot. My semester is starting. Okay. Um, yeah, so we'll okay. see. Maybe we might see Om's video. If not, um, I'm going to do a column on Tuesday, I think, to 
go through the tactical differences of this scheme and, and the diamond, but also on Thursday, so this is the day after Leganes, uh, I think David Garrido will be on to preview the Valencia oh, game. Awesome. So if you know David Garrido, he's uh, on Sky Sports. He also appears on the Revista podcast. Um, and he's a big Valencia fan, so we agreed to come on the show to talk about Valencia, the game against Valencia next week. So That's exciting. That's really cool. I yeah. have one plug to make uh, myself. We will be interviewing Kevin McCauley on Leicester's Football. So he wrote a very cool article about how the U.S. Uh, Soccer Federation kind of systematically uh, uh, undervalues and mistreats uh, talented Hispanic and black people. Um, uh and so we're going to bring him on to talk about that. It's It was kind of a bombshell. Lots of people were talking about it. He got some really good quotes working with um, Hercules Gomez, a couple other people. Uh, extremely excited and psyched to have Kevin come on. Um, ask him about Nacho. Uh, <laughs> ask, him why he, ask him about his anti-Nacho agenda. Yep. More seriously, I, I, like, that was a great article. Like, If you're interested in U.S. soccer at all, you should definitely read it. Yeah, it's really cool, and it's it's all part of this whole thing that's going on right now in, in U.S. soccer that was triggered sort of by the uh, decision of this um, very talented uh, defensive midfield prospect who plays in Liga MX in Mexico, uh, who's a U.S.-Mexican dual national, to decide to switch his allegiance from the U.S. men's national team to play for El Tri. Um, and uh, there was a lot of discussion about that, and this is part this is all part and parcel of that. So really excited to bring Kevin on. Uh, especially, um, it, and if you're like a fan of our show, um, and you like listen to our extremely weird last episode, this one's going to be a lot more serious <laughs> and not include a 20 minute digression about like whether Spider-Man should be able to twist his ankle or not. So, uh, yeah, check that out. It's going to be fun. All right. Um, so with that, I think we should, uh, leave it there. I, um, I'm excited about the way this uh, this this next couple games are going to go, Keon. I'm I'm excited to keep talking about it. So we'll be back for your midweek patron podcast. Um, until then, uh, a la Madrid. A la Madrid. A la Madrid. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile. The most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus 30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate.